Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 290 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 14th, 2013. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast, talking about USC beating Arizona 38-31, starting off the Ed Orgeron era of USC football. If you have any questions or comments, you know we've got a bunch this week, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or you can call us at 206-888-6755 or go to our website peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right there on the left side of the page want to jump in we'll have dan weber later on the show as always and coach harvey hyde here in the first segment what's up coach how you doing how you doing ryan first uh before we get started i want to thank everyone out there that uh i have an opportunity of meeting uh, either at the games or places when I say hi to them and they come up and say hi to me. I look forward to that. I like to know as many listeners as, as we have out there personally. So uh, as I tell you when I meet you, if you have questions, please, please send them in and we'll do our very best to answer them. But again, Ryan, I'm ready to go. It's always good to get a W. Certainly, yes. And uh, before we jump into the show, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, Dodgers, a couple of home games after losing two on the road, but they got a couple of games coming up. you got hockey, of course, USC football, which new head coach, and there's a little bit more excitement in the Coliseum. All that, you can go to SCTickets.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at InsideTroy. You want to follow the coach, he's at, at Coach Harvey Hyde, and he loves to tweet during the games and I do as well. We can kind of talk about what's going on with the team and coach. You know, we have a, you know, a lot of different questions. I think was you know from this past game, and it was interesting because I thought there was a lot of elation, uh, getting a win, and and the the Coliseum was a little more excited. It was the first Thursday night game, so that was kind of weird. Um, and there, and then it was followed up on Saturday with Lane Kiffin on game day. So Luke wrote in and and kind of get your thoughts on these two points, if you would. What did you think of Lane Kiffin and his performance on game day? And then he said that you were also right about the problems in the secondary. What do you think the solution is? Well, um, you know, uh, the solution is, uh, you know, I've always felt this and I've said this. uh, You can't play a pressure defense and go after people unless you have great corners. Because if you don't get to the quarterback, you're asking your corners to cover all day long. And it's very difficult. And if you flush a quarterback out of the pocket, as uh, USC did against the University of Arizona, Decker had one of his better nights, but they lost contain, and he just drifted to the sideline until he found one of the receivers open and then threw the ball down the field. Uh, I think Decker had his best game of his career, obviously, throwing for over 300 yards when he came into the game averaging 111. Uh, But, uh, you know, he had some drops, too. And uh, SE had some breakdowns in their coverage. So uh, there's a, it's a risk every time you play man coverage with a force type of defense, which USC does. Now against Notre Dame and other teams, uh, you're going to go after them because Tommy Reese isn't a great runner either. 
But when you face a active quarterback and you're playing man defense, you've got to get the quarterback. If you don't get the quarterback, you can't cover these great receivers all day. And I, I said it on, I don't know if I said it or not. Maybe I did say it Sunday morning on the Trojan Brunch. But if you go back and you trace the history over the last couple of years of USC, as far as recruiting is concerned, a lot of these players that come in that are super athletes, and I'm not saying Coach Kiffin did this or whatever, but they always went to the offensive side of the ball. Marquise Lee was recruited, and I thought he was coming in to play a corner from Sarah High School, a great defensive back. They had already gotten George Farmer. George Farmer was a receiver. I was surprised when Marquise Lee ended up as a receiver. Stevie Mitchell, who last year came in uh, out of, uh, I think he was out of Sarah too, and uh, a great defensive back, a great skilled player, but they're loaded with receivers. They don't need receivers. These guys have got to understand that our best players have got to be on the field, especially when you're going to be playing man defense. Marquise Lee would have been a lockdown corner. You've heard me say this a million times. He'd have got more money playing corner than he would being a receiver today in the NFL. So you, you've got to, when you get these tremendously skilled athletes, you've got to put them in the secondary because that's the way you shut down great receivers with great people covering them. Not that they're athletes. They're all four-star players that are playing in the secondary, but the difference between the 4-6 or 4-7 and 4-5 or 4-4 makes such a difference. And when you have the confidence that you can lock on somebody and you talk to them the whole game, about try to run a route, you're lucky on the last route next time, I'm going to pick it off, and this and that. And you can't play overly aggressive in the secondary. And if you watch USC in the game against Arizona, they were playing too aggressively with man, and they were jumping routes, trying to jump a route and trying to take a chance like Torn Harris did and then got beat on that, that route. And then also he, he jumped the hitch, and there was a hitch and go. Suva Cravens jumped the out when it was an out and up. And Bailey got beat on it, and Bailey said it was a stupid, stupid thing he did. But right before half, you're up 28-3, and you let them catch a long pass. They're not going to just run the ball down the field. Obviously, they got to throw the ball. So, you know, those are the type of things you have to improve on. And you have to be able to match up or, or do different coverages, or maybe once in a while, I'm just suggesting this, and I'm not telling anybody what to do, mess them up a little bit and drop eight, and bring three, and then bring seven or eight or whatever you want to do. But uh, but I, I really think that that's the way you have to attack it, especially when maybe your secondary uh, has been damaged with a lot of injuries. My gosh. And I, I see that Sam Brown might come back this week and uh, and, and then others, but, uh, you know. Anthony out. Brown, yeah. Pardon me? Anthony Brown. You said Sam Brown. Anth- oh, yeah, Anthony Brown. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Anthony, he just hadn't played for so long since the Hawaii game. I forgot him. I know he's number 16, though, I think. Yes. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, this is one, the way the best way to answer it. Uh, you know, you, you got to have great players against great players to play man coverage. And, and I know Clancy knows this. Uh, so we'll see what happens with how he, di- how he disguises his coverage, his coverages and what he has to do. But you got to contain. You can't let guys drift out on you. And they're not going to play a, a better running back than this kid, Kerry. I mean, this kid's a great player. He's got great speed and great power. And, of course, that always assists in play-action pass because you've got to stop a great player like that. So, uh, you know, it's great to get the W. 
And I think that's what you have to look at uh, at our draw now. Want to know? And you move on. Now, what was the second part oh, of that question? Well, uh, he wanted to know what you thought about, I don't know if you got to catch this, Lane Kiffin on game day. Uh, oh, I caught it. I caught it. He was on early. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, I got tweets from people. A lot of people said, Coach, he looked more comfortable uh, on in front of the TV set than he did on game day on the sideline. <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I tweeted back and I said, I didn't think so. I thought he was under a lot of pressure. Uh, very uh, complimentary to USC during his entire interview. Couldn't mention that enough. Uh, wearing a purple tie, that sort of, I think, someone else should have selected his tie. <laughs> I think that more or less was supporting the University of Washington. I know he's very good friends with Steve Sarkeesian. I understand that, but that making your first public opinion, uh, appearance, it would have been great if he was wearing a Cardinal tie, wouldn't it? I mean, something to say all these good things about USC and then, you know, have a Cardinal and gold tie on or something to say, hey, man, I'm still part of you because he said he was still part of USC. And it's very difficult for him. Whenever you lose your job, remember, a lot of people out there have lost their job, but they don't have to, you know, read about it every day in the paper and they don't have to watch their job play every day. They don't, have to, they don't have to do these type of things. It just disappears and you start applying for another one. But when you're out in front there and you're watching your team play, it becomes very difficult for you as far as cheering for them and then thinking about what you would do and what happened to you and how you would do things different, which he said. He said all that. But I thought he was, uh, he was good for Lane Kiffin on TV. Yeah, I don't think he was as comfortable as what people thought. But he broke the ice, and you got to do that. I don't know, really. I liked him saying, or someone said he watched a game with Steve Sarkeesian at his home, uh, the SC game. But it's pretty hard to sit in a friend's home and not talk about USC. It's pretty hard not to talk about personnel. Pretty hard not to talk about recruiting. It's pretty hard not to give some details about players and programs and recruits and in all of this so uh, I wondered if that was smart to do but he did it and he can do whatever he wants to do it's just saying my opinion and that's all I'm giving you uh, yeah I, th- I mean a lot of people thought he did great I was like he was okay I didn't think that you know I, I think he could get better at it, it was the first time and it was an emotional time but I, th- I thought there was some you know, some stuff where he said kind of the same words over and, and, you know, I think there's some polish could be there, but certainly he could have a future. And he was definitely more, you got to be more open. And I think sometimes when in 2011, we saw Lane Kiffin be more open and, and the team was successful. And when you try to close things off and, and close things up, it wasn't quite as successful. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, he definitely has his moments where he can be uh, really genuine and, and, and honest. And it's, it's good to see. And then other times he's not. So I'm not sure. Um, Let's go. Kellen is the first time uh, first time he's written in any questions. So he had a couple. And the uh, first one for you, Coach, he said the Arizona receivers were able to get behind the coverage on more than one occasion. Where is the breakdown happening? Is it the call or is it the coverage? Well, it's a combination. Uh, uh, one was a breakdown in the coverage. The others were just breakdowns, like I explained a moment ago, in in a combination of coverage and breakdowns mentally as far as biting on patterns and, and, and allowing the receiver to catch the ball. 
uh, up and out, up and out, a hitch and go, uh, a, a, a street, seam right, right or seam route right down the middle of the field here before halftime that Bailey allowed the touchdown pass. Uh, you know, uh, those are the type of things you can't allow. You always hear me talk about big plays. Can't give up big plays. Big plays equalize the score in a real hurry. Uh, and you can't allow that to happen. At the end of the game, I sincerely felt I didn't think that SC would be able to stop Arizona if they got the ball back. And I know the offense was challenged. I know that I would have challenged them. I would have got them all together as a head coach and said, guys, we've got to get the defense a break. We'll win this football game if you go in there and make three or four first downs. And the offense went in there and made three or four first downs and they won the football game. That was character. Now, I'm not quite sure if the defense got tired, too, with the pace of the game. Uh, I know they didn't run that many more plays than what USC ran. I think they ran 75 and USC ran 70. But uh, Decker, their quarterback, said when he looked at the defensive line, they seemed to be gasping for air. Well, you know, I don't think that basically is the reasons you break down. I think that... uh, you just sometimes uh, guys make great plays and you make dumb moves, dumb plays. And that creates an opportunity for uh, people to make big scores or complete a pass, a third down, a long situation. Uh, you know, so I think I, I think I answered it best when I said you can't play man unless you have man coverage people. I've talked about this in the spring. I talked about this all spring, all fall, about playing Man coverage with an aggressive defense up front when you have to do that. You've got to have great personnel playing the corners. And I've said all along, remember in the spring, Ryan, I've told you and said, every, why have these great receivers watching the game? Of course, some have gotten hurt, but I'm sure Blackwell or Flournoy or, or Lee or, or, or others uh, can play defensive corner because you've got to have great corners to be successful anywhere. So, uh, you know, they've got a lot of kids that aren't playing, and I'm not sure if they're, they're they were, you know, not the, I don't want to say this, the ability of what they were rated as, but they certainly aren't uh, doing well at man coverage. Uh, some games they may, and some games they don't. But against great receivers, I'm telling you, what's coming down the line, you're going to see some, <laughs> some flinging, some flaming dudes, man. <laughs> You're going to see some airborne guys. Uh, I mean, uh, when I watch some of these other teams play, Ryan, uh, these teams can whip the ball around, and, and they're really good at doing it. I went to the UCLA game. Even UCLA wings the ball around and hits the perimeters really well. They run the same type of routes that Arizona State runs uh, as far as the uh, screens and swings and all of these different things with an outstanding quarterback with Hundley. So, uh, there's a lot in front of the Trojans, so it definitely is something that's got to be massaged or taken care of. The uh, other part of his question, Coach, from uh, Kellen, he said the offensive line was able to create some holes and protect Kessler. Do you feel that this will continue against some of the better defenses in the Pac-12? Well, I, I think the offensive line has has, has improved. Uh, I thought the last week at times they had their best efforts. I actually saw kids getting through the hole, guards pulling up, trying to block somebody on the power plays. Uh, They did have some breakdowns at times when 
I can't remember the number, 99 or 96, the Samoan kid just, just came right through the middle of the line, almost like he was unblocked or too powerful for the offensive lineman to block him. But you've got to – if you you don't win big games without, without offensive line play. you got to have offensive line play. you got to own the line of scrimmage. you just got to own the line of scrimmage. Now, I'll tell you, what I'm talking about owning the line of scrimmage, I, I know you all saw the game. But when they ran Allen four plays in a row to left side power, and you saw him hit the line of scrimmage and the push that he brought with the offensive line, it was absolutely amazing and beautiful, Buck Allen. Now, here's a guy you don't even hear about, except I've been talking about him for a long time. They've got a great stable of running backs. But you saw the push and the speed of him and the way that offense went forward and the way he went over the top. It looked like he was running a 4-2-40 when he hit the line of scrimmage and went over the no linebacker would have stopped him in the air. No linebacker would have forced the gravity the way he was going. So when I'm talking about owning the line of scrimmage, I'm talking about that type of push. He ran the ball four straight times with all positive yardage, and, and they scored. Uh, that's what you have to do with the offensive line. And when they come up, they have no choice to come up, and then that's when your play-action pass becomes really dangerous. Um, I, I agree with you, Coach. And here's as far as the offensive line goes. I, 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 there's some concerns there. I think they definitely played better. What do you think as far as uh, the strengths and weaknesses of the line? I mean, there's two offensive line coaches we've known about that. What do you feel they're going to have to do going forward? I, I think the nastiness that Ed Orgeron kind of said he brought to the table is, is important. Is this something that with the guys that are out there can get better? Because it, it does seem like there can be a feast or famine where it's a, a big negative play in the run game or – there's a huge hole and the guy runs through it. it. To me, it seems like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. You're not really sure on any given play what the offensive line is going to do. Well, uh, I agree with you on that. And I, I don't think you breed nastiness. You can breed size. You can be intelligent. You can bulk up guys. But you can't breed nastiness. Some people's personalities are just nasty. And uh, at times, I used to take defensive mentality players and put them on offense and bulk them up and teach them, especially when they went both ways. I'd say, you know, we've got to have the same type of aggressiveness and meanness on the offensive line because they're going to play against these guys, same type of guys. So you've got to take some of these guys that go both ways in high school and you got to, you know, bulk them up and put them on the offensive line so they can kick some butt too. But that. They're not intimidated. They're not nice guys. They, these guys don't spend all day in the library, you know. I mean, not that guys shouldn't spend all day in the library, but they'd rather be in the weight room or, or you know, hitting a boxing bag or, or something because this is the way they are. And you've got to have and, – and I'm not sure, you know, if they have that nastiness in them. They're all great kids, but you don't breed that. I mean, you can't teach that. That's got to be part of your personality. There's some people that don't talk at all but communicate with you. There's some people that talk too much and you don't want to listen to them anymore. <laughs> so what I'm saying is I don't see the nastiness. I don't see the 
the you know what you're talking about. Now these kids may have that. I think there's one or two kids like that. I'm not going to point point out one or the other over the other, but I like to see guys with you know that have you know finished the block and and and, and like to get after people and, and and back up their players and look in other players' faces. Not that I want them to get a penalty, but I want them to say, "Hey, man." You do that again, you're in deep, you know what, and then go back and huddle. you got to have that mentality, but this is a gladiator game. This is not a knitting class. <laughs> this is a gladiator game. You're training gladiators. In the old days, this would have been a gladiator event. Who else would do what these kids do with their speeds and size and, and running and collisions and hits? If it wasn't this type of game. So you got to have that type of kid. I went too long on that. No, that's okay. Um, I just want to kind of follow up on that question. We have another sort of offensive line. This is from Frank in uh, Sacramento. He felt that that was a BS holding call against number 77. That would be Kevin Graff. Uh, nullifying Silas Red's big run on second down late in the fourth quarter. That had a lot to, more to do with the Arizona touchdown than anything. Instead of first and 10, it's second and 20. And we end up with a punt. Still, the guys pulled it out, and they learned a lesson about playing four quarters and a win. That's uh, Frank in Sacramento. Well, you know, I agree with you. You said BS call. I'll put a BSSSS call. <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, if you're going to make those type of calls, you're going to call holding on every play, okay? You're going to call holding on every single play. This guy felt that he wasn't making enough calls for his check for that week. So he made that call, and I and I would just talk to these guys like that too. I'd say, "Don't worry, you're going to get paid. Your check's going to clear. You didn't have to do to make that call." And and uh, I thought that was a call that should not have been called. There are calls that are, or there are penalties that are worse than that that are not called. So I agree with that 100. percent It did nullify a great run and the momentum of the game at that time. So. Uh, you know, they try to do their best job, and sometimes that's not good enough. If you watch the instant replays and some of the things that are going on, you know, at first I wasn't for instant replay. I thought it messed the game up, and the game's been played so many years, but I didn't instant replay, and the officials are always right 90% of the time. But today with the pressures on the kids and the universities and the coaches being fired or hired, depending on a call of a game, I'm for instant replay. I saw a lot of changes in instant replay this weekend. And uh, now I am in favor of it because there's too much pressure and too much at stake with the calls of officials. And uh, Kirk Herbstreet, who you can argue is the uh, face of college football and on college fo- on game day and all that stuff, uh, he did a radio interview, I think it was up in Seattle, talking about that the Pac-12 officials are by far the worst in the entire country. And uh, there was actually a couple of big officials in the press box, uh, Coach, at, at the game. Uh, I think Tony Parente, I believe his name. And I, I oh, yeah, Tony Carreni. Carreni, yeah, He's sorry. the commissioner of the Pac-12 officials. And then there was another one there, too. Um, so, I mean, they're watching that game. And I, I don't think there was a lot of uh, – it wasn't a typical, I would say, Pac-12 game. I mean, there was a couple weird ones with the uh, blocked PAT and – the, the inadvertent kick or whatever. and that So that was kind of a weird play. That holding call was kind of phantom, but not the typical ones where you see like so many bad things going on and just, just groaning. And, every, and the national media members are like, what is going on in this conference? So it's I, I don't know if anything's going to change, but it doesn't seem to be getting much better. 
Well, he made a lot of changes. I, I've talked with him. I know Tony. He used to work our games. Uh, I know him very well. He's an NFL official, too, referee. So I've spoken with him. When he first got the position with the Pac-12, he made a lot of changes with officials. He, he actually got rid of about 20 or 30 officials and brought in new officials and put in guidelines and age and also uh, shape and conditioning and a lot of the things with rules that he's trying to improve that. Uh, for Kurt uh, Herb Street to make that statement, I, I don't know if that's a smart statement to make or, or something to say on national TV. Uh, because, well, he does see a lot of officiating, but it's not an easy thing to officiate. But to, to say that, I, I, I don't know if that's smart to say, okay? Uh, but he said it, and he certainly has the right to say what he wants. Uh, I think there's always room for improvement on any level of officiating, uh, whether it's the NFL, which he works, or the college level or high school level, uh, positioning so important. And no one makes a call that's stupid on purpose. No one. And I'm sure that Tony Carini tries to get the best officials possible to work in the Pac-12. He's not you know, playing or, or assigning his favorite friends. These are the best that are available. So uh, I think that, uh, yes, there's always room for improvement, especially if I'm the one getting damaged with the call. I'll let them know that. Uh, and remember, after every single game, I hope they're still doing it, I had an opportunity to fill out a card every uh, Sunday afternoon, I think it was, and turn it in on every single official and the crew that worked the game. And they all go in. And if you have a real beef and so on, you can call the conference and you can talk to them about that and they'll review it. So they're constantly trying to improve it. So, uh, yes, I've seen some dumb calls. and But I've seen them other places, too. I almost said something else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's the way it is and you got to take it and leave it. And that's why I like instant replay now. All right. got a couple of quick ones for you and we'll let you go. Here's... Um... Uh, voicemail question. Good morning, Ryan, Coach Hyde, and Dan. This is Ed Duncan from the High Desert. Congratulations to USC for finally doing the right thing. Hats off to Coach Kiffin for being gracious and showing real class on game day. It's never nice to see someone get fired. Now, a suggestion to USC. Jump on the present trend in college football and update your uniforms. It can help you in recruiting. These young kids love it. You could create some magnificent uniforms in cardinal and gold combinations. I know what Coach Hyde thinks on this because he stated his opinion on this matter. But this is a new era, and I tell you, these young football players love it. Fight on Trojans and beat Notre Dame. Well, I can tell he's a regular listener. <laughs> and I want to thank you for your call. And, yes, you've heard me talk about tradition uniforms. I love to turn a game on or go to a game and I know which team is which. Uh, today it's very difficult at times. Yet I must admit to see some of these shiny gold helmets and silver helmets and and all of that uh, is sort of impressive to see. Uh, and uh, I think it's important. I agree to uh, satisfy today's kids. They are different. These kids grow up under a different era, and all of the different things like this do make a difference. 
But I'm going to tell you the one thing that makes a difference more than anything else, winning. If you've got a winning program, kids don't care what you wear. Wear practice gear out there. When you line up and beat the heck out of somebody and you know that you're going to get the prettiest girl in, in, as your girlfriend on campus because you're a great Trojan football player or whatever football program you're a part of, it doesn't make any difference what you wear. And tradition, I like. Uh, you know, Notre Dame is changing their uniforms. Uh, Ohio State has changed theirs. You don't see Alabama changing theirs. At least I haven't seen them. Maybe I stand corrected if they had I haven't seen LSU change theirs. I haven't seen Georgia change theirs. Now, maybe they have, and I've missed it. But I tell you, when you're good and you win, Kids want to go to programs where they love the football coach program. They love the offense you're running. They love the educational programs. And they know you're going to line up and beat the crap out of somebody. And I think that those are tough terms, the way to say it. But I used to have my ugliest guy get off the bus first, okay? And the reason I did that, I wanted him to say, holy cow, do the rest of them look like this? And we used to kid about it with the team. They'd all wonder who I'd pick this week <laughs> to get off the bus first. And uh, we had fun with things like this, like Coach Art Ogeron's having. And I think that uh, that's my feeling. Of course, that's just my feeling, and I agree with you 100%. Kids are different today. Music at practice, water. I remember, you know, with, with a lot of things have changed. Do you remember when you played that a soft tablet took care of everything? It's all, take it soft, pill. Don't take your helmet off. No water during practice. Are you kidding me? Drink water during practice. That makes you soft. Well, today our athletes are better athletes than we were. I mean, it's tough for me to say that to you guys that are All-Americans out there. I wasn't an All-American. But these are great athletes. You treat them different, just like you treat a Kentucky Derby horse a little bit different than you do a claimer. But, yes, there is a lot of changes in that. And Oregon has started that, and it is changing around the nation. But I think winning takes care of everything. Okay. And then one last one quick for you, Coach. Paul in Las Vegas. Uh, we, we talk about the coaching search a lot, and you know, we'll bring up a couple names probably every week on the show. He really is a big fan of Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, obviously a tough loss there last two weeks, uh, Stanford and Oregon back-to-back. But what do you think? Do you think it'd be a, a good fit at USC if they if USC went after him? Well, you know, Steve Sarkeesian certainly is a good recruiter and has done a good job at University of Washington. But going into the season, let's go back and think about this for a minute, guys. He was on the bubble. They have given him everything. He's made a couple of coaching changes. He's got a high payroll as far as his coaches. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying, you know, He's got to win some big games. He's in the, I'm not sure how many years he's been at Washington. They build him a new stadium. They've done a lot of different things. Now, I think his teams are exciting, okay? And, yes, I think they're very good. And they did lose to two great teams back-to-back. It's tough to play those type of teams back-to-back. UCLA is not going to now have to face that, too, coming up the next two weeks. But that's what college football is all about. I think that the association and friendship of Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian is a little bit too close for Pat Hayden to bring Steve Sarkeesian to USC. Not that he wouldn't do a great job, 
But I think he is looking for someone else if it's not Ed Orgeron. Now, right now, there is nothing better that could happen to the USC Trojan football program with the hype and the love of Coach Ed Orgeron and the support that he's getting from the Trojan fan base and the players for him to win enough games to justify being the head football coach at USC. I think a lot of people would buy into that, uh, Ryan. I, I agree, too. And I, I think the, the similarities between Lake Kiffin and Sarkeesian, you're dead on there. I, I, I feel that when you have a coach that wasn't very successful, the next coach you hire, you're trying to get away from what that first one was, you know, right or wrong. Uh, if you if you got a guy that was a you know a big time offensive coordinator in the NFL with not a lot of college experience, would you go back and hire the next guy if it, he wasn't successful? Another offensive coordinator in, in the NFL with not yeah, probably not. You're going to try to get something else, and I kind of have a feeling that they're going to get away from the Lane Kiffin stuff and Sarkeesian. Right or wrong, it's kind of tied hand in hand with him. I agree, and I think the first thing uh, they have to decide at USC is the philosophy that they're going to play under. You hire a coach for what he brings with him, the style of play, the style of defense and offense, uh, the philosophy of the program, the entire package. Because if you watch Pac-12 football, it's exciting. You watch any other conference, it's not exciting. The speed of the game and the Pac-12 is unbelievable. The balance in the Pac-12 is unbelievable. So uh, I'm not saying other conferences don't have great games. But watch a Pac, watch a UCLA-Stanford game or whatever game you want to watch, and then watch another game. It just doesn't seem like it's the same great excitement. I went to the UCLA game. It was great to see a Pac-12 team in person again against two teams. See, SC's going to play both these teams. But to see them and the enthusiasm of college football fans in the Pac-12, it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to say this one last thing. Last thing. Larry, Stewart, or Larry Scott, please get your contract completed for DirecTV. Yes. Please do that, you know, and then uh, I think uh, – people will be a little bit more excited and fired up about you. All right. Well, Coach, thanks. Great stuff. I know we went a little long, but it's an interesting week, the first game for Ed Orgeron. So uh, good stuff, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys, and keep calling in. I appreciate everything. Say hi if you see me, and uh, have a great week. And if you uh, follow me on Twitter, I'm at Inside Troy. Follow Coach Hyde at at Coach Harvey Hyde. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses 
sales reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit CircleMarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Hey, Dan, what's going on? How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. This is always a great week. The uh, Every other year, especially, uh, going back to Notre Dame uh, just doesn't get any better than that, especially if you're, you know, like uh, me and grew up in the Midwest and, you know, that was Notre Dame going to a, you know, big-time college football game in Notre Dame on a Saturday afternoon was about as good as it gets. Saturday night, nobody ever got to go to any Saturday night games, but uh, not at Notre Dame Stadium. But this is fun. The anticipation of of Notre Dame week uh, is always uh, as good a week as it gets. Um, all right. Well, we we're gonna look ahead to Notre Dame, but we gotta look back at uh, what happened Thursday night, first game for Ed Orgeron. Here's a. I think we have a new caller here, kind of a good general call. We'll start off with. Hi guys, this is Ben Everett from Northern California. Love the podcast. Uh, transferring to USC next spring, Pr- very proud to be part of the Trojan family. After watching the game tonight, um, love the way the offense looks under Coach O, much more improved than under Kiffin, uh, you know, letting Kessler pass downfield, connecting on some big plays, uh, scoring some touchdowns, uh, the rotation of the five tailbacks, I love the con- contribution from, uh, you know, multiple players, even without Marquise Lee, the way the offense looked is great. Uh, can't wait for Lee to get back, though. Help make this offense even more potent. Um, very concerned, though, about the defense. Uh, we've seen it decline in the past few weeks, uh, including on into tonight, especially the second half. You know, allowing more points in the fourth quarter uh, than in the, fir- the entire first half, almost blowing a 21-point lead. Um, just wondering, you know, what's the next step uh, for Coach O now? You know, what does he, he does he need to address this with Clancy Pendergast and? I mean, clearly something needs to change before they, you know, go to South Bend next week uh, to play a much more challenging Notre Dame team, and uh, including later on in the season when they face teams like Oregon State, Stanford, uh, UCLA. I feel uh, the defense is going to have to, you know, get much stronger and the way they looked in the first couple games uh, of, of the season. So just wondering where they go from here. And anyways, thanks, guys. Fight on. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what their 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 biggest um, you know thing that they have to address, and they know it. They screwed up, uh, and Ed admitted it that they didn't rotate, especially in the front front group. Those guys didn't get a you know break at all, and uh, you know it showed at the end when they when they stopped having the ability to put uh, B.J. Denker under any any pressure at all. He was really, I mean, I think he was an underrated guy, and probably will throw the heck out of the ball the rest of the year. I just think. I didn't think he could throw the ball and didn't have to have him throw the ball because they were running it so well. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have to rotate. Ed said that yesterday, that uh, that was a, a, a complete and absolute mistake on their part. And, and it's one of those things that I don't think you, all, you realize it until it happens, uh, that you've lost a step, quarterback's going to run around and, and avoid you, and then, um, and then you're going to have that breakdown. Now, I don't know that anybody was surprised at the breakdown in the secondary. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, somebody said, I don't want to, we were kidding about what will be the first words 
that the Notre Dame offensive coordinator gets when he's, he's in the booth and puts a headset on Saturday. And I'm guessing it will be something like, where's number four? <laughs> uh, and it's just, you know, things that can't happen wouldn't happen if, you know, some of us were in the secondary, we wouldn't let somebody get behind us in the, in those situations at the end of the half, at the end of the uh, end of the game, it's just not going to happen. But it did has to be addressed, you know, specifically. Now, obviously, Anthony Brown being back yesterday at practice and, uh, and getting a lot of work, you know, can he come back after, you know, having not been around since the Hawaii game? Don't know. Ed didn't know. Uh, they're going to sure give him a shot. That changes things. If he's Anthony Brown, um, that changes things immediately. Uh, you know, Kevon Seymour at the other corner, did pretty well. The problem he's got, Josh Shaw almost has to play safety. If they go with the five guys, five guys in the secondary, you've got a brand new guy in Deion Bailey who missed time to jump and you know made a you know really bad play. And you've got uh, Sua Cravens who makes plays but also makes mistakes as a, as a true freshman. So they need kind of a Josh Shaw out there next to those guys as a sort of an organizing uh, organizer who was doing a little coaching himself, and he was uh, that was he was as mad on the last touchdown pass as I've ever seen somebody uh, at at his teammates. Um, so you know I think they're starting to address it. Uh, where they come up with uh, a little more depth uh, if Morgan Breslin. <clears throat> can come back. Uh, then that gives him J.R. Tavai, where you can move him in a couple of positions. So, uh, so I think you know, first way you address it is if Morgan Breslin and, and Anthony Brown come back. Second way, uh, you have to get more guys in the rotation in the defensive front. Uh, I think the one thing you might be encouraged about a little bit is the fact that uh, Tommy Reese, Notre Dame's quarterback, is not is not the Danker kid. He doesn't have that kind of foot speed and quickness, elusiveness. I mean, that, he the kid was more of a – and everybody said it when we when Arizona came in, that this quarterback's more like a tailback than he is a you know, quarterback with his uh, you know, elusiveness and quickness and toughness. So uh, I think they'll be able to track Tommy Reese down a little bit better. Uh, so, so that – you know, all of those things, I think, help address that, you know, that situation. But I think Notre Dame will go to school on the Arizona film and say, we're just going to try to beat them up physically, try to push them around, do what we did to Arizona State, and, uh, and hope that, that wins, you know, the wins the day. So USC's got to be prepared to have a, a decent rotation up front, whether that comes from, you know, uh, also maybe Cody Temple finally – uh, you know, he's getting healthier. Uh, he's, uh, he's a potential, you know, somebody that, um, that you know, that they can, uh, they can rotate in as well. Uh, we'll see. They, they have to come up with the answer. Ed said we will come up with an answer. We will. We screwed that up. They've got a new defensive line coach, to, you know, and they, they had the defensive lineman out early for practice yesterday with Ed and then Pete Jenkins, the uh, uh, took over the new guy from uh, LSU, and um, I'm encouraged. But you're right; they uh, they have to have an answer for it because when you look at it, the first half they don't give up that very late touchdown. Incredible, you know, 56 sec- seconds left to go. That's a really good 
good half of defense against a, a really good team. I think we've people have been underrating Arizona a little bit. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to watch the Arizona Utah game this weekend and see how that goes. But uh, but I think uh, people maybe didn't give Arizona quite as much credit as as, as they should have given them as well. The um, you, you mentioned the secondary. We had a lot of questions. About the USC secondary, as you can imagine. Here's I wanted to play this voicemail for you. Wanted if you share any other thoughts, that'd be great, Dan. Okay. Hey Ryan, Chris from Fontana calling. Uh, great win for the Trojans. Good to see those kids having fun again. Uh, my question is about the defense, though, more specifically to our secondary. Uh, Ninety-three points given up over the last two games. Uh, just your thoughts on why the secondary seems to be disappearing uh, on on some plays and. Is this a situation that's fixable with a little coaching? I mean, do you feel like there's some talent or football IQ issues out there? Uh, inexperience, uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, and I love the podcast, guys. Uh, and by the way, I almost didn't recognize Dan without a hat uh, watching the post-game instant analysis. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Look forward to your thoughts. Yeah, that's the one advantage of uh, playing at night. I, you know, it's a do not need a cap. Uh, but, uh, you know, You've got two new guys in at safeties that were really, you know, USC has to be really enthused about, and, and Deion Bailey and uh, Sue Cravens, both of whom made, you know, critical mistakes in the last two weeks. There's no question in the last two games. And, uh, you know, mistakes that, you know, gave up touchdowns. Now, they both can make, uh, make big plays and are kind of playmaker-type guys. Uh, not the greatest judgment as we've seen, and it would probably, you had a sense, it's going to take a while. That judgment doesn't come immediately. The second thing you've got is three and a half years or three plus years, three years, excuse me, on defense, three years of playing an entirely different way where kids just didn't learn to play the ball and to play the man. The ball skills just aren't there. I mean, you just, Guys can be in the right position and still not make a play on the ball. It's, uh, it's, I think, the big question. You know, Ed can do everything to change the attitude, the mood, you know, the having fun. Uh, they can change the offense, I think, more easily than they can change kind of an in- ingrained approach to defense as much as you work at it. And now you're running up against, you know, big-time coaches who really can, can take a look at film and see, you know, when you get uh, Todd Graham at Arizona State and Rich Rodriguez, these guys know what they're doing, and they can look at a film and look at, you know, what USC is doing and who they're doing it with and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to attack them. And, you know, to this point, the guys being attacked haven't held up all that well. I mean, and, you know, the breakdowns have been giant breakdowns. I mean, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, and we knew that there would be some big plays given up with this defense. But uh, when you give up, you know, three end-of-the-half touchdowns, uh, that's just unacceptable. It's just, you said lack of football IQ, way, way, way much a case of lack of football IQ. That, uh, that anybody got behind anybody on any of those three touchdowns is incomprehensible almost. So, uh, you know, is it a factor of, you know, I think some of it is um, some of the problems that the offensive line has had with Mike Summers and Clancy with the defenses, you know, with the secondary, is I don't think either of them knew kind of the state of disrepair their units were in, that uh, the lack of fundamentals, the lack of really 
understanding the game that both say the offensive line and the and the um, uh, secondary were were laboring under after uh, three years of uh, kind of just going to pot. I mean, really, uh, this there's a lot of makeup ground, and I'm not sure anybody. If you come to USC, you think, gosh, they got to have good players. At, you know, in the secondary, they got to have good athletes, good you know players up on the offensive line, and I think the coaches have probably gone through an adjustment of wow, we've got a lot of teaching to do, a lot of work to do, and I think you know you run it, run into teams like that, and you think wow, and and probably the Boston College game gave them USC obviously played Boston College clearly better than either Florida State or Clemson. And Boston College, much more traditional, you know, kind of an opponent. And USC tends to line up and do pretty well against, you know, teams that play them with the kind of straight-up traditional, um, you know, game that, that USC plays. So it might not have been quite so obvious. And, you know, they held, held Washington State to, you know, three points, uh, Washington State's offense. So uh, I don't think it was – quite as apparent to them until the breakdown in the second half at Arizona State, uh, you know, what the issues were in the secondary. You know, I, I would think there are going to be per- personnel changes for sure, uh, and, and that will be addressed one way or the other. And, um, and you know, how Clancy – it will be interesting to talk to Clancy this week. Uh, last week I think he thought it was – talked about, you know, communication issues. We weren't talking well out there, uh, and we didn't make plays on the ball. You know, well, they haven't made plays on the ball for a long time. Uh, what do they do about that? It's going to be uh, – I, I, we, we saw yesterday what the defensive guys were doing with some real working on hands and getting off blocks. And I know, uh, you know, Pete Jenkins is a 3-4 expert. And uh, I think Ed has really taken some tips from from Pete in terms of, of how they can – they couldn't disengage very well at Arizona State. I don't think that was the problem at Arizona. They just couldn't quite, you know, get to that guy. And I think uh, some of it was was angles. I thought they took some some bad angles uh, in in terms of pursuit angles, and that uh, that was something that was certainly building up over three years. That the you know the bad angles that they were taking. But you know, it all it's not any one thing. It's a it's a lot of things together, and uh, some are fixable. Whether there's a completely enough personnel, if you run into a quarterback like Denker, who's he's got that much athleticism, uh, at the end of the game, uh, you know, I think that's when your secondary's got to hold up a little bit longer. I mean, the, the idea of this defense is you force the quarterback to get rid of the ball quickly. If he's got a chance to run around and run around and run around and get a second and third look down the field, that really puts a puts uh, your secondary, you know, in some real difficulty. So I think it's all going to have to go together. They're going to have to get better in every uh, every part of that uh, that defense. Um, that was good points there, and it kind of answered Melvin's question. He wanted to know if he thought that the Pendergast defense has regressed, but I like your, your points there about, um, you know, playing different styles of offense and their kind of strengths and weaknesses of this defense. Um, one of the things that J.D. and D.C. wrote in about uh, well, actually called in, but it was, a, it was a little too long, so we're just going to put his point here. What about Marquise Lee at corner? We've, we've talked about that before. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd be a pretty, uh, pretty nice corner. Uh, can't see that, uh, but, 
But, you know, an interesting thought. Uh, if this were the NFL, uh, maybe uh, somebody would think about it. I guess the corners make more money than the uh, than the wide receivers. So, uh, so who knows uh, at, at at the next level? But uh, but I think uh, you need uh, need Marquis to work on uh, running some good patterns and catching the ball. That would be uh, you know this that would be enough for, for right now for this week. Yeah. With him coming <laughs> back uh, with a brace on, uh, you know I think that I just think. It can't possibly be that there's nobody who USC has recruited over the last four years that can play a capable cornerback. That can't be right. USC, they couldn't have missed on every guy. Right. That's just not possible. They have to do better. Now, if guys keep making the same kind of, you know, uh, plays where, you know, they get beat deep at the end of a half, and that's happened a whole lot. Uh, then maybe you take a look and say, how are you coaching them? What, what, what kind of, you know, what, what's going on here that as a group, they don't seem to be aware of the clock and the situation and what the other team's probably going to do. How do you bite on any kind of a short move where if the guy catches the ball in front of you, you know, they don't have enough time to score. So you, you, you hope he throws it in front of you and you actually bite try to, you know, beat him to the spot on a, on a ball that you want him to throw. I mean, if you have any sense of where the game is, you just say, great, throw it to him there, and you stay back. I mean, here's a team that, you know, we used to go nuts because they stayed back all the time, <laughs> and they let guys catch the ball in front of them. Catch the ball and let them catch it in front of you at the end of each half when you've got a nice lead. Holy climate, that doesn't seem like that. Now, that's one of those things you would have thought, gosh, if only they would have paid attention to that one thing of Monty's defense, that would have been good. <laughs> Act like it's third and long, and you're going to let them catch the ball for the first down. Instead uh, of touchdown, yeah. Um, David in the OC wrote in, and, and you kind of touched on this too, but maybe you can expand a little. He said, uh, it seems that the team has a very hard time closing the game. Is that the lack of depth on defense? Are they just running out of gas, or are they losing concentration? The defense always struggles towards the end of the game. Why is that? Why can't they play like the first half and dominate? Well, I think, uh, yeah, as obvious. If you don't substitute in the in the front your front line guys, then you're not able to run down. You know, they're especially run down their quarterback. If you can't run down their quarterback, he's got more time. Uh, then. Uh, he can take advantage of, uh, of the secondary. So I think, you know, it's a defense that basically they have to get pressure, have to get that guy running. Uh, they've got the athletes to do it. But at the end of, you know, the fourth quarter, uh, after you've been chasing a guy the whole game, uh, that ha- you know, that's, that's a tough thing to keep doing four quarters without any, any, any uh, rotation. And so uh, and, and, and nobody doesn't admit that was a screw-up. They, they should have rotated. They caught up with them. I think they were feeling pretty good because they were playing pretty well. And, you, you know, Kadeem Carey, uh, you know, hadn't gotten, you know, hadn't just killed them. Uh, you know, they, they missed some tackles, and he ran through some people's arms and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, they had, they had managed him pretty well. And, uh, you know, except for those – if you take away those three breakdowns, it's 38-17 or whatever, you know, 38-10 maybe, for God's sakes. Uh, 
that's a really good defensive effort. I mean, basically three plays, uh, but three just horrific plays. So I think we may be overgeneralizing somewhat to the breakdowns because the breakdowns were all touchdown, you know, producing breakdowns for uh, Arizona. But uh, in general, not so bad. Specifically, those three plays changes everything in the way that that game goes into the record book. But that game wasn't all that close a game in most, you know, you take away about two, two minutes of action in that game. <laughs> and uh, it's a real, I mean, it's a real one-sided game. So, you know, now they know. They know what they need to fix. So I, I, I don't know that I uh, overstate what we, what we saw. I mean, I think they just felt fairly good about themselves and didn't realize that, uh, that they were, you know, losing steam to the point of the combination of not getting to the quarterback, letting him run around, and um, just total breakdown, uh, you know, mentally in terms of uh, where the game was and, and what the situations were in the secondary, uh, you know, gave them those, uh, those scores that uh, they certainly didn't have to, you know, have to get. And if they'd have made them drive, you know, drive the field, they, they didn't have enough time in the first half, so they wouldn't have gotten a score there and uh, wouldn't have gotten one of the two in the second half. So basically – you know, you're talking about a, you know, 38, uh, what, 24, 38-17, something like that, and everybody's, you know, kind of happy with how, you know, how things went. Um, we had a question from Jay Villalta, I think that's how you say it, USC class of 97. He's made two points. Uh, he was talking about Pendergast is going to have to answer some tough questions about the secondary like we talked about, but his other point was uh, – he thought the play calling was a lot less predictable. What did you think about the play calling? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I'm the, uh, you know, Arizona defensive coordinator, I'm screaming and saying, golly, what, why did I have to be, you know, why did it have to be us here this week? <laughs> uh, none of our film is, is worth anything. Just throw that away, you know. And, and I mean, he's probably saying things like, well, I thought Lane said that this kid couldn't drop back and throw the ball deep. What the hell is going on? That's not the case. Who's that? You know, well, we saw every throw he made this year, and we didn't ever see this guy. And then that guy took off and started running. Are you kidding me? I thought they said he couldn't. And uh, he said, we were reading a P every day for the last uh, six weeks, and nobody on there said he could run. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they were screwed, I think, as far as uh, as far as knowing what – Clay Helton was going to do. I think it's interesting. <laughs> all these guys that have coached with Lane for all these years, and they've basically changed everything. Now, they've not said that. They've been, you know, kind of respectful and nice. But is there anything they haven't changed? I mean, really, it just was automatic. You know, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this way. We're going to practice this way. We're going to, you know, off the field, we're going to treat them this way. Uh, you know, offensively, we're going to do this, this. I mean, try to imagine a Lane Kiffin team running five different tailbacks in the same game. Seemity, they couldn't, he couldn't get five in the same year. <laughs> uh, I mean, Buck Allen, you know, one of the greatest signs of what happened in that game was the reaction to Buck Allen with all the kids on the sideline and Trey Madden lifting him up after the one touchdown 
And those kids have known how hard Bucks worked and how good he is and how much he deserved to play. And that never happened. And it, now it happens. And the players reacted in the kind of way you want players to react, in that kind of, man, it's about time. That kid deserves it. They were so happy. I mean, like in the Hawaii game, he gets the ball, he you know runs over that guy at the four-yard line or whatever, gets the ball down there, and they take him out so he doesn't get a chance to score. And I think the players all saw that, and they didn't like that. And they loved it that Buck got, you know, two touchdowns the other day. And uh, I just think there was a, there was a whole lot of, of that, especially on offense, really. Arizona didn't have much of a chance because that just didn't look – I mean, they're throwing the ball deep into the end zone to George Katrib. And I, that, that says a lot. If I'm – they're saying, you know, if I'm a you know, team that's going to, you know, line up my defense for USC, and I'm saying – they're throwing the ball 50 yards downfield in the end zone to a walk-on who was <laughs> open. Uh, that sends a message to people. And uh, if, you know, the Arizona guy, I'm sure, is telling Rich Rodriguez, he's saying, uh, I didn't think we had to defend the whole field. What the heck? <laughs> that wasn't the USC team we saw. So, uh, yeah, it was a whole lot different. In about every way you could be different. It was definitely different. Um, let's see. We got Mike at Toronto, who stayed up late to watch the game. Had a few points. I wanted to get your comments on those. He said, "Love uh, Javaris Allen. Great burst of speed. He should be return. Should he be returning kickoffs? Nelson and Kevon, uh, with the injuries of that position, are too risky." He said, "We also need more rotation on the defensive line. They look gas chasing quote unquote Fran Tarkenton all over the field." He said, uh, we have a great stable of running backs, and our right tackle seems to be a little bit weak on pass protection. So what? maybe your thoughts on some of those Well, I, I mean, I think you're, it's interesting about Buck. I know, you know they're looking at Buck at, as a wide receiver, a slot back guy. Now that they know how many guys they can trust, you know, I mean, they added, basically added three more running backs uh, the other day when uh, now you see Ty Isaac uh, and uh, – and Silas is healthy and was able to carry the ball as much as he could carry it. Uh, you got to take a look at, at, at extending their personnel in different ways. And uh, that's a good question about uh, that buck. I mean, some guys can, you know, two different ways of catching the ball. Um, kickoff, you know, most of us can catch the ball on a kickoff. Catching a punt, especially teams are now doing, you know, the rugby kicking and kicking away and, you know, bouncing it and rolling it. Um, that's a that's a difficult position, and they've had as bad luck as you could possibly have. I mean, their punt returners started out: Anthony Brown, bam, down first game; uh, Darius Rogers, bam, down second game; Marquise Lee, cheat down. You know, you know, if you're a punt returner on USC's team, you you do not have a long life expectancy uh, <laughs> uh, the way this year has gone. So yeah, they're scrambling, but it's hard to get enough practice because. I mean, I don't know if people realize this. That football tends to go away from the returner. When it's coming down, if they, uh, uh, if it, toward the end, it's like a, a foul pop fly in baseball. It tends to go away from the catcher or comes back on the catcher, actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, hard, it's really hard to get those guys enough uh, live punt work. I mean, you can, you know, you can uh, use the judge machine and, 
and get them catching the ball. But if you're catching the ball, you know, on the road in South Bend with, uh, you know, nine guys coming down at you in the crowd screaming, it's, uh, that's a tough deal. Uh, and, and they've had as bad a, you know, luck as you could possibly have because those guys, you know, Anthony's real sure handed. Uh, obviously Marquise is. He wished he would have never been in there, you know, returning one or having to, having to return one, but, uh, uh, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. Uh, as far as pass protection on the right side, uh, there are times speed rushers to the outside. Sometimes then there's an over-adjustment uh, to the outside on the edge, and then there's the guy that, you know, beats you to the inside because you've given up such a, you know, uh, a seam between um, tackle and guard. Uh, but, uh, you know, I thought they were uh, improved in, in, in lots of ways. Uh, you know, with pass protection. I mean, there were enough times where everybody got a block, and it was obvious Cody was going to have enough time. The receivers, he was going to be able to, you know, check all his um, potential receivers and all that. So I thought it was, I thought it was uh, better, and I thought it, you know, I think they're they're getting there. I know they're working pretty hard at it. Uh, you just, you know. I mean, we've got a different right, you know, right guard, right tackle combination in the last couple of games, and um, thought it worked better uh, against Arizona than Arizona State, obviously. So we'll see. It's a work in progress, but uh, uh, it's really important to say the least. And uh, if uh, if you give Cody uh, enough time, he's pretty darn good. I mean, I've, we've been trying to tell people that uh, he he's pretty good quarterback. And I think he's starting to, you know, show it now. If they just start catching, catching the ones that hit him in the hands, uh, <laughs> then uh, he really could be a good quarterback. Uh, here's one. Want to finish the segment with a little coaching stuff. Um, Stephen Poway wrote in. He said, Dan, having read the LA Times article in the Sunday edition about the influence of John Robinson and Heritage Hall, I'm a bit concerned. While I appreciate the sex- success J. Rob has had his first time around as coach, I was not impressed. With his second tenure, do you think he uh, is being seriously vetted as a candidate for head coach, as the article seems to imply, or at a minimum, they would have Pat Hayden's ear? He said, with all respect to the uh, venerable uh, Septuagenarian, I sincerely hope not. Here's my hope that either Ed Orgeron does an incredible job and loses the interim title, or Pat Hayden pulls another Andy Enfield out of his hat. That's Stephen Poway. No, I think Steve might want to read that again. Um, I think the, the point about John was, as John handled it so well, because there was this little bit of a rumor that, oh, maybe rather than take one of the coaches away from their duties now, especially one of the defensive coaches like Coach Orgeron, they only have three, you know, defensive coaches, uh, would you bring in someone to just sort of handle the PR kind of part of it for the rest of the year? And and then one of the suggestions was, well, maybe, you know, John Robinson's around a lot and he's, a, you know, they listen to him and, all that, and I, he handled it so well <laughs> when that was a bro, pro, uh, you know broached to him about that possibility. He said, "Well, I guess if they don't mind a coach that would have to take a nap in the middle of practice, uh, <laughs> I'd be fine." <laughs> so he shot that. No, no, no. I think that just the idea of listening to him when he talks about what it takes to be the head coach at USC. I mean, I would listen to John about what it takes to be the head coach at USC because he's seen it both ways and he knows the kind of 
you know, energy and commitment and uh, what a special, you know, job it is and what a special place it has in, in Los Angeles and Southern California and nationally and uh, what it means to the alumni. And he, I think, I think that was the, uh, the point was he's really worth listening to uh, when it, you know, comes to what are the qualities that you need in a, uh, you know, in a head football coach at USC. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's clearly one of the top five jobs in, in college football in America, which I think by definition makes it one of the five toughest jobs in college football in America. And there aren't a lot of guys that can do that. I mean, that's just, just by definition, very few people uh, who can do that job. You know, is there another Pete Carroll out there? Uh, will there ever be another Pete Carroll? And can you even want to even think that thought? You know, because you probably can't ever go there again. Uh, but, uh, you know, is that guy out there to be found? And if not, uh, you know, what, what do you look at when you look at Coach Ordron, who literally, I was telling him yesterday, I asked him the question, I said, have you made a mistake yet so far? I mean, have you, you know, other than not rotating uh, against Arizona, I said, basically, these aren't easy to make a, you know, a head coaching change in the middle of the season. I said, it looks like you've done it seamlessly i mean that this is just and he said one of the interesting things i think he said was they had been thinking about this they had this must not have been i mean we probably didn't make as much of it of what he said but it didn't seem to be as much a surprise to them as it may have been to the outside world because he said they were thinking about it and they kind of knew what they were going to do if it came to that so you know had they been given a heads up uh, it kind of sounds like it, uh, but he said, you know, it's not him. He said he really credits the players for uh, being so resilient and being able, you know, to respond. And um, and that's why, you know, he's done, you know, to this point, he's done it so well because um, he understands it's about the players. And yet, you know, he can also say, when they ask about, uh, did you hear the coach out here? And what do you think of it? And he said, oh, I loved it. You know, <laughs> he can just say that. A lot of guys would say that. Everybody would say, oh, you little, you egotistical SOB. But uh, uh, Ed can say, I loved it. You know, and they're cheering, you know, coach, oh, coach, oh. But he, <laughs> uh, he, he's, 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 you know, he learned a lot. It's obvious he's really learned a lot from, as, as, uh, as Pete did from his, you know, two experiences in the NFL as Ed did at Ole Miss, sometimes, uh, and I think, you know, if there was a glaring uh, fault of, of Lane, if there's a reason why Lane is no longer here, it's the inability to learn from things that, that and I know I, at times I credited Lane with the idea that he has to learn from this, or this has to convince, <laughs> no, 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 he just, there were times, it didn't matter what happened as a result of what Lane didn't always seem capable of taking the right lesson away or any lesson away from, uh, from things that, you know, uh, you know, he took some lessons, you know, out of the sun Bowl or out of the way the year finished, but not all of them and not enough of them that applied directly to him. Whereas Ed, you know, he, he's very, 
self-aware of the fact that, for example, uh, a little insight yesterday, the question came up about Anthony Brown. Can he come back? And Ed said something you know, to the effect that, well, I think because of the surgery on his on his knee or was it his shoulder? And he said, I think he had surgery. I've got to check. You know, I wasn't his coach. I was coaching the D-line, so I wasn't paying enough attention. So afterwards, he comes by and asks me, he said, was that okay to say that? He said, that was, I was just being honest. I really didn't know. I really didn't know. And I said, you know, I don't think you're ever wrong, you know, for being honest. Uh, you know, and I said, heck, none of us in the media, we were all asking ourselves, we hadn't seen Anthony for so long. I said, we were all asking ourselves, now what did he do? What exactly? And it was a knee sprain. But we were all trying to remember. And so I said, no, you were right there with us. Uh, but his, his ability to do that and not feel like he's got to be somebody else or he's got to I said, I think there were a lot of coaches who would have bluffed their way through that. And um, I think people respect the fact that you didn't try to do that. And, but uh, he, he's coming from a different place. Uh, I think maybe that first time you're a head coach, you try too hard. You, you try to think of, you have to have all the answers and you can't show any you know, human weaknesses and all that. And, and I don't think that's any, any, anything about where Ed is right now. So I don't think it'd be wrong to, to, you know, wish him well and, uh, and maybe wish that they don't have to go find somebody else. That would be uh, probably uh, the best, uh, the best result of all. I know there are people who think that no matter what his 10 and 25 record at all mess is written in stone, and the point is, obviously, on that one is if he'd have been allowed to stay two more years and play with his players that he recruited, he'd have had a whole lot better record and a couple of bowl wins and all of that. But uh, he didn't get that shot. And, uh, you know, that's how, that's how it works sometimes. But I'm not sure that you can look at the Ole Miss experience and say that's the totality of, uh, you know, who Coach Orgeron is. So, so we'll see. Hey, uh, Dan, we only got like a minute or so left, but I wanted to okay. uh, play the beginning of this uh, question for you. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's kind of long, but get your quick thoughts on this. Hold on. Here we go. Hey, guys. Robin Yakaya. Hey, I have got a coaching name that I haven't heard come up, and I think that if they can throw the kitchen sink at this guy and get him to come over, I think it would be a great hire, and that would be O'Brien at Penn State. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Two names that I think are big enough for the job. I actually think uh, uh, Bob Stoops at Oklahoma is a similar kind of a, a name. Now, it's probably not a good weekend to bring that name up after, <laughs> after the Texas game. But uh, and O'Brien has just been magnificent in terms of how he's handled everything with Penn State. Now, I know people say, gee, they got, they got clocked a week ago by Indiana. And, yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know, in a, a difficult situation. I'm in love with the guy just for the fact that he came up with a strategy to get their scholarships back. And he was, you know, we wrote about this in July, chaired a meeting with their board of trustees where he, you know, where they had a, here's our scholarship, uh, you know, uh, strategy to get the NCA to give us our scholarships back. And they got whatever, Ryan figured out 80% of them back. Uh can't can't like it anything better than that. I don't think that's a a name that's totally, uh, you know, should be totally off the books. Uh, whether now that he's gotten the scholarships back, whether he can at this point 
leave Penn State. Uh, I'd be surprised if he could do that. I mean, I would just think that there's kind of a sense now of the two going forward together. But but there's a lot of, a lot to like uh, about him. I might like him better than many of the other, you know, many of the other candidates who worry me because, uh, you know, when you see a guy who's had a great run with a great quarterback uh, at a couple of places like Louisville and Texas A&M, uh, you wonder what happens when they don't have the great quarterback. Uh, so Bill O'Brien has shown me an awful lot uh, to like. All right. Well, great stuff. Thanks, Dan. I know we went a little long there, but I appreciate the uh, time. And we'll see you out there on the practice field and uh, again in Notre Dame against Notre Dame uh, next Saturday. So it should be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Dan. Everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.